0: Pooch,
1: what up? What up? How's it going? How you doing? Good, good. It's a this is a midweek recording, so uh, I actually kind of like it. I'm, I'm putting all, all the fires on hold. It's kind of like hitting pause and just shooting the shit. So it's it's a good uh, it's a good break. How's how's everything going on your end?
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry, that's sorry, I. I, that's, I I feel, I feel that's the time difference part of it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's
0: yeah. 10 53 PM here.
1: I mean, you just had breakfast, oh, wow. but uh, what True. time is it?
0: 11 53,
1: 11, 11 53. Yeah. A yeah. little, a little before noon.
0: Yeah. That's what, that's what sucks about doing this. Uh, literally on the other side of the world. Um, True. Yeah. What's funny is if you account for the geometry of the earth, like if we remove the earth and then close the proximity between me and pooch, we are literally butt cheek to butt
1: cheek. <laughs> kind of true. Yeah,
0: not not side by we, side as our zoom windows would lead you to believe. Um, no,
1: yeah. And the fact that we can have a normal conversation like through the earth basically is actually pretty interesting. Science. science indeed, until it doesn't agree with what we feel that way, then we have issues with it. but yeah, we'll so save that true. for another episode. <laughs>
0: Feelings trump science, or so uh, so politics goes these days. Um,
1: right, true, true.
0: Feelings, anyways. <laughs> um, man, I don't know. I heard. Uh, I heard you have to start fighting off uh, homeless people and shit and play Vista now.
1: Oh man, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I, I've just been indoors and on Twitter for too long, but I'm I'm kind of noticing that the whole BS that they used to talk about San Francisco is now slowly yeah. leaking into LA. So noticing like. Um, I, I've been following a lot of like police scanner accounts on Twitter about like the PDR area, Marina Del Rey, Culver City, and um, yeah, just a constant stream of of crazies being caught doing different type of stuff. And uh, I I had my own uh, not safe for work experience where I was I think I could talk about. it. I was basically like flashed at an intersection, and by by someone who was obviously drugged drugged up or on something way way harder than what is socially accepted nowadays uh yeah let me get this straight
0: he uh he rubbed his ding ding on your car
1: Uh, a friend's car yeah but he uh he he yeah just ran up to us at an intersection whipped it out did that and then went to another car started pounding it like he was donkey kong that car drove off through a red light. He just fell on the street, and then got up as if nothing happened. And just ran off.
0: Okay. And for the listeners right now, we're not we're not fucking around. This actually happened, right?
1: No. This this truly happened. This was a very crazy weekend. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's it's just uh it's weird, you know, just seeing seeing that type of stuff, and then like, Lord knows what what else might be happening, but. It's it's uh that's
0: actually a fairly you know, cons- tame experience compared to some other stories of like people getting jabbed with needles
1: and getting hepatitis and shit. Um oh I've actually heard like a lot of very interesting stories about people who've come from you know the, the Bay Area or people like that about some of the experiences that they've had, but yeah, it's just uh it's 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 I mean I'm trying to find the right words to do that do San, this without San Francisco
0: like, San Francisco has yeah. been disgusting. The last time I was in San Francisco yeah. was January 2020. Um, and, you know, I had spent a lot of time in San Francisco in the past, because again, I used to live in Sunnyvale and Redwood city. And, uh, you know, even going way back. is like, I went to a summer camp there, you know, mid two thousands. And so I was familiar with San Francisco and I had walked pretty much everywhere and yeah, there were always like these weird seedy parts of town, but never was it as pervasive as it was, as it was in January, 2020. And from what I'm hearing, it's only gotten worse. It's now the rest of the city. Um, wow. You know like the bart train just smells like distilled urine and you know market street has just even the pretty parts of market street have become garbage like you know union square garbage um yeah crime everywhere everything's boarded up and the thing and this is like creeping down to la which is what sucks and yeah. it seems like san diego like where i where i went to undergrad is the pretty much last bastion of uh, non-crazy california
1: I mean that's what it's seeming like at least from from a lot of friends that I talk here basically say they want to end up in San Diego. Even the friends in San Diego right now, yeah, um, are basically going. This is like uh, it's slowly getting to the point where if you think of California, you think of San Diego. You no longer think of Hollywood, the S. Well, I mean, I always that. And everything
0: San Diego was yeah. remarkably was remarkable in the sense that it was really just so much safer than most cities of that size anywhere in the country like san diego we could routinely walk around at night in downtown san diego like gaslamp district kind of region um or by oh, yeah, the conference yeah. center it, it was fine it was totally fine for a bunch of college kids to be walking around there getting pizza you know digging around it, it was yeah. totally safe um whereas there's nowhere in downtown los angeles you want to be walking around at the dead of night and now it's the same with san francisco um
1: yeah not at all i mean before I actually ended up moving to LA to study at LMU, like I spent a semester in Boulder, Colorado. And even there, like it was it was so safe to literally quite the point where like there was a 24-hour IHOP that I think was the only thing that was open um, that late at night. And me and my friends lived on different parts of town. And not even exaggerating or shitting shitting you at this point, like we I'd put on headphones. 2am and just walk and I wouldn't worry about what's behind me what's beside me it was all just like sleeping people and deer it, like it was it was kind of like I don't know if it was because I felt kind of safe because maybe I was a guy and I'm fairly large and I'm, I was wearing all black but yeah, I was going to say like, like
0: you look like a bouncer at a London club like you're not you're not the person who would get <laughs> jumped you know
1: right now like, you go, the- D,
0: bruv. No, just open the <laughs> door with their head yeah <laughs>
1: I all D. um, you, I like brother. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's, that's like, I don't know if I'm, I'm my, of course, my experience a little, is a little different because like, you know, size and everything, but I think, I think the big part of it is just like, You're my regardless, broker. a bro. Yeah. Yeah. bro. That's why yeah. when, when, when our sister says little bro, I'm like, it's a little less emphasis on the little bro, you know? Um, not 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 so little. Um yeah. but uh no but 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 that's the thing. Like in Boulder, regardless, like I never had a homeless guy flash me and rub his whatever on the car. No. <laughs> so so it's like yeah, it's um it it's not only like here, but just like you mentioned in SF and everything, and I think that's actually why the 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 whole exodus I think happened over the pandemic where like VC funds, startups, all these people just started moving away. And we've mentioned this in multiple episodes before, but like you're starting to notice hubs in different parts of the country and different parts of the world as well. So like you have Miami, you have Austin. I think Washington is slowly starting to like Washington State, like slowly starting to to to
0: they've been trying to make Seattle happen for a long time. I mean it did. You do you do have some good Seattle startups, but it never quite became San Francisco or a real like tier two. It did not become Boston
1: yeah but look but but that, that's definitely like an that's definitely like an issue as well of of yeah it wasn't as big as you know the bostons or new yorks or la's um but i mean even to find equivalent competitors you might need to look outside of the states so i know like near you dubai is a very big one i think the two yeah. the two regions there are dubai and saudi arabia right
0: yeah well here yeah if you're not in one of those two then you're kind of irrelevant also there's there's egypt and-
1: Oh right. Egypt and just like multiple hotspots in the MENA region for sure, but I think in the Gulf specifically, um, it's just yeah, Dubai's, Dubai's been constantly making headlines talking about how Saudi too now. You know. Yeah, yeah, Saudi too, which actually brings me to, to, to the main topic of this thing, which is um I was I was actually super surprised when I heard I think it was either on TechCrunch or CNBC, something like that, that um there was a startup in Saudi Arabia, a, a fintech startup uh, that had a Series A led by Sequoia. So, like this is who, Silicon who is Valley. <laughs> I think it's a tree. Yeah. Some 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 and random place. Um, <laughs> um, I think you think they'd change their their names like Nahal if they ever moved to to the Gulf region.
0: Well, there is a home uh, Drive Capital, but anyways, back back to your no, back just, your sure. point.
1: Um, Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so it's like a little over a week ago, Like we were actually surprised by the announcement that like Saudi fintech called Lean, raised a $33 million series A, led by Sequoia Capital India. And this is Sequoia's first investment into a Gulf region startup. Um, to give everyone a little bit of context, um, so Lean is a Saudi-based fintech company that offers APIs that allow financial service providers to access their customers' banking data and instantially instantly initiate payments. And this is kind of re- rephrased from a um, CNBC article. It's but Saudi plan, Pretty much, actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what it is. And, and yeah. it's just trying to open up the, it's it's trying to move the wave of like the API-ification of, of banking in, in the Gulf, starting with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, but the crazy part about it is like Sequoia was only one part of an investment, of, of a large like foreign investment push into that company. So it included like other funds in New York, a lot of very high net worth individuals, um, like ex CEOs of banks and anything like that. And it it stood out to me because I'm I'm always like, even my limited time in the startup scene, I'm just so used to seeing the opposite. Um, so like Gulf sovereign wealth funds investing in US based tech companies. I know uh, the sovereign wealth funds of like Saudi Arabia and, and Abu Dhabi and um, Kuwait as well. Um, Always invest in like WAG, Fanatics, Uber, Lyft, Snapchat. Um, and I'm just so used to seeing that one way road from the Gulf region to Silicon Valley. So when I saw that, it was actually like, it, it was pretty surprising. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm like missing over any other examples, but is it, has that kind of been the norm since you've started getting into this as well?
0: I mean, Long before I start getting the long before I was born, this has been the norm. It's you know, it's it's the capital leaves here. Number one export mm-hmm. is oil. Number two export is money, and that goes right into a whole bunch of funds and coffers around the world, including Silicon Valley.
1: True. Like I think the the funny thing is like you and actually you and I actually spoke about this in depth in a previous episode, and I tried I tried going back in our episode guide, and I, I don't remember which one it was, but um, I guess listeners will have to listen to every single previous episode of ours, but. Um, like we we spoke about what it took for there to be a large domestic incumbent in the MENA region. and the two main things that we stressed on throughout that entire episode was basically the need for an an, an incumbent to export tech, um, for there to be like an engineering core to the team that would export either APIs, services, just something that people can take and iterate on or benefit from. Um, and then I think I briefly mentioned this during that previous episode, but um, from a GovTech founder's perspective, i.e. my perspective, uh, for the country to create that environment of growth for the company through business-friendly laws and a legal framework for the industry in which they're operating, um, I think that's most of the times in the MENA region, most of the obstacles that are presented when people are trying to start something um and and we're kind of noticing that with web3 here in the states and the little places in the EU as well where um you want to start this this thing there's cool tech that you want to center your business around but the only issue is the legal framework isn't 100% clear and it's still very much either it's 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 a surfacing industry so part of it's still underwater underground so you don't know how to work around it um so lean in terms of like the two points that i just mentioned um definitely meets that first requirement they they have an engineering team in saudi and they have a little, couple of offices in london as well but they're exporting tech they're exporting apis um not too sure what their what their like marketing or publication or just outreach efforts are in terms of engineering blogs and things like that but um regardless they're building something that hasn't existed before in the region um but what makes me like especially happy basically is how how the progress in the region has been so far regarding the second point. So you can probably speak a little bit more about this since you're more aware of the region, but like the UAE's approach to Web3 has been like so enticing from what I've heard that people from the Bay Area are actually like moving there, right? Yeah, so there's that. and then I mean,
0: look, the reason Lean is so interesting is because finally that we're seeing a lot of like these infrastructural tech plays. But what I mean by infrastructural is that This is the basis on which a billion other startups are going to be built on top of, and they're free to compete with one another. But at the end of the day, they're all using lean. In the same sense that Mm -hmm. there's a million personal lending startups in the US, but I dare you to find one that doesn't run on something produced by Plaid. So these infrastructural startups, not only do they become great... uh, great you know, prospective incumbents in a given region, but they also allow the region to massively scale uh, in terms of the number of new startups that can be uh, uh, created. Because look, all of a sudden, w- once you have things like Plaid, starting some fintech, I mean, the cost of doing so and the cost of experimenting and rolling out a product drops significantly because there's a whole lot of infrastructure that you don't have to build yourself. It's all an API, uh, a quick tie-in, And it's usually so simple that the few lines of code, the five to 10 lines of code necessary to, to, um, you know, to do something or another, it's kind of showcased on the company's own website. So if you go to lean, um, they'll show you right on the front of it, kind of like, you know, Stripe's early days website, you go to stripe.com, it says start accepting, uh, start accepting payments on your website and just use these two lines of code, right? So advertising how utterly simple it is. And with that cost coming down, you're just going to see a lot more startups.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think that's the that's the whole notion that uh, me and a friend of mine, uh, Jared, shout out Jared of New Tech, because if, if he's listening. Um, but so, so that's actually um, one thing that, that the two of us are talking about is the whole idea of a meta business. Um, when I say meta business, of course, I'm not referring to the metaverse or, or meta, the, the formerly known as Facebook. But um, it's basically the idea of a business that runs off of businesses or serves as an infrastructure for other businesses um, Stripe is a very big example of one. Or say, for example, that um, you know I, I can only speak on the GovTech side because that's what I've been knees deep in. But um, say, for example, if I'm trying to start a company and I'm my main value prop is just scraping data at the local level, picking up ordinances, motions, um, city council meeting agendas, um, planning commissions, board of supervisors across. Every single entity or body or jurisdiction in, in the US. Um, what I'm going to notice is that there, there's going to be logistics experts that are going to care about what city councils have to say or like what um, boards of supervisors from ports have to say, like Port of LA, et cetera. Um, there's also going to be people in the insurance industry knowing what city councils say. There's also going to be um, uh, real estate developers needing to keep a very close eye on planning commissions and all the things that come that come out of there. So you very much, you quickly turn into the API for everyone in every single industry um, that cares about these laws and cares about these different um, decisions that come out of these governments. Um, and I think Lean is trying to do the same thing from the fintech perspective. Now, I think what we're going to probably start noticing is a lot of um, Payments, um, e-commerce, um, Lord knows there's multiple different types of industries that are going to come up centered around payments, and they will be able to operate at such lightning speed because their infrastructure is so lean, no pun intended. Um, but then also because you know <laughs> because lean is it's it's there, you know. Um It's like, it's just a service that they can use. And like, I I have to say too, as an early stage founder, you know, the reason I still even have a hairline that it hasn't receded past halfway through my head is because I didn't really need to worry about payments or, or like PCI compliance that comes with needing to build a system that manages transactions and things like that. And that's all thanks to Stripe. Like all I need to do is send them a link. They click through it, they verify or complete their transactions and then i just get a sign that says okay this user completed this transaction and that's it um so i think what's what's very nice about that is especially in the MENA region or in the gulf region um that's always been pretty well protected i mean the you know i you know ha- having having a sibling that works in software engineering um he complains often of of some of the existing legacy systems and things like that. and um, I think you know when we talk about that type of stuff, there's very obvious solutions that are never addressed. but I think what's very relieving specifically in this case here is that the the Saudi Arabian like monetary authority is basically starting to open up to new technologies and having them publicly available or having them, Built by privately owned companies for people to build off of, and I think um, the the main thing that the CNBC article that I read about when in in that fundraising announcement was was um, basically the Saudi Central Bank or like SAMA Monetary Monetary Authority um, saying that they're going to move yeah SAMA so saying they're going to move to launch a framework for open banking in the kingdom. Um, and again, to catch everyone up, open banking, uh, paraphrased from that CNBC article, is um, giving third parties access to financial data and permission to execute financial transactions. Um, it's pretty much why services like Venmo and Cash App exist in the US. Um, but yeah, like I think specifically speaking, um, Saudi Arabia has been kind of like leading the Gulf states and like slowly allowing newer technologies into the markets for founders to spin into services that make everything from banking to real estate, to crypto, simpler. And once you talk about how young populations in the Gulf region are, uh, it, it's just a recipe for waves after waves of tech eras coming in. And as long as you have a proper, clear regulatory framework for all this new tech that's going to come up, um, I think the the next thing we're probably going to see is just more and more startups that are going to pop up. And I think, you know, it's it's sort of a nice break from the traditional wave that we've seen currently, which is you know you and I being from Kuwait, like restaurants. You
0: know, here's the thing: there are a number of industries that yeah. underpin basically the entire economy that are not you know directly involved with oil. Those things include, but are not limited to, F and B. Um, there's the telecoms and the banks that employ a lot of people in the region. Again, outside of oil uh, and transport and the you know things along those lines. So, when it comes to you know rocking the boat with banks, changing the laws of what it means to be a bank and who can operate and under what you know regulatory regime and what banking services you can offer and how many services you have to offer before you straight up become a bank as opposed to a company with financial services, um, Saudi is beginning to play with a lot of those definitions, and we're going to see a lot of changes coming up. Um, the other thing is that's worthy of note is there's an agility, sorry, there's a transport company in Kuwait called Agility that around August of last year had first applied for uh, basically an e-banking license. Now, the thing is like there is no set e-banking license framework in Kuwait Um, up until a couple of days ago where the central bank finally uh, announced their intention to begin issuing uh, digital banking licenses for digital native banks. In other words, banks that do not have a physical location. now there's a there's there's a lot that's going to come from that. We don't really fully know what the total scope of the regulation regulatory changes will be, but that is a huge step in a country that tends to be extremely protective towards its banks. Um, another you know thing to to keep to keep in mind is Kuwait is the only country in the Gulf where the banks aren't directly owned by the government. So the government institutions here, like PIFs, the Public Institute for Social Security and others own very large stakes in most of the banks as well as other companies. However, there is no direct government ownership and control, say for example, like QNB, Qatar National Bank, right? Um, or uh, or um, Abu Dhabi, um, forgetting the name of that. Wow, I can't, NBAD, National Bank of Abu Dhabi. Um, so again, kind of more direct government involvement, Emirates, NBD, those kinds of things. Large banks in the region, direct government involvement, not the case in Kuwait, and yet they've kind of freed up competition or the right to compete very, fairly recently. And I think it's interesting that we're talking about this just days after a lawsuit was filed in Kuwait to try to ban Netflix because the state, I'm assuming, is incapable of censoring the content. Uh, you know, It's not like we haven't been getting uncut movies on standard cable and satellites since like the 80s or anything, right? Um, mm-hmm. And also there are other streaming services that aren't Netflix. Hello, hello. <laughs> true. Yeah. I, true, want, I want to true. clarify that this is not a proposed act of parliament, nor is it a regulatory decision. This is a civil lawsuit being filed to try to compel the authorities to restrict access to, to Netflix. And there won't be a hearing until the 25th of May. Uh, the reasons for which you can imagine, not for the hearing, but the reasons for the suit you can imagine are beyond stupid. But that doesn't really stop anyone from filing suit these days in any country. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where we are. But it's happening at the same time that banking regulations are kind of opening up to allow digital nativity, which is fun. So back to your point, mm-hmm. back to your point. These rules do allow international investors, well not just allow, but encourage international investors to look at this region a little more closely and actually choose to deploy capital. Now, we're a long ways away from Sequoia setting up an office in Dubai, but you know, they are definitely looking at A setting up offices outside the region and and B Looking at having those satellite offices make deals, just like with Sequoia Capital India looking into Saudi Arabia, which is something that was inconceivable just a few years ago. So, mm-hmm. there is another notable financing recently, aside from Lean, that's also within the world of fintech slash crypto that I think we should make note of. So, Kleiner Perkins and Paradigm co-led Rain Financial Series B of an astounding one hundred and ten million dollars. That is by far one of the largest Series B financings in Middle Eastern history, if not the one of, if not the largest. Now. You know, rewind to 2015, the largest exit in the region was 170 million dollars that was that Rocket Internet paid for Talabat. Uh, oh, yeah. And that was that was mind boggling. That blew people's brains, right? Now we're talking about series B's of 110 million dollars for something that just a couple of years ago was deemed completely illegal in this region and a lot of other regions just, to be fair.
1: And what 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 was Rain's types of like what, what do they offer?
0: Right, right. So Rain is a cryptocurrency exchange.
1: Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. So I have a RAIN account.
0: I've been using it to buy uh, Bitcoin quite a bit. I mean, I've bought a lot of Bitcoin off of RAIN. Fees Mm -hmm. are, you know, a little high, but it's very reasonable compared to a lot of other uh, options. Um, I think they're one of the first to do it. And I think uh, they were the first to get a regulatory um, nod from the Central Bank of Bahrain in order to do this. So they're all on the up and up, all totally legal. Um, Again, fees are, they're not low, they're not high. They're just, they're, where industry is at um but they do something amazing which is they integrate local payment options so in kuwait that would be knet you're able to buy bitcoin using knet which is a huge uh yeah which is a a huge uh well it's helpful for people who don't have local credit cards because i actually don't have a credit card issued in kuwait um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's kind of their way in and they've done pretty well so one of the reasons foreign funds didn't really allocate to the region much in the past is because of tam uh especially for funds that are you're oh, used yeah. to the e, used to the US used to the EU and they start looking for a similar giant markets elsewhere like india makes sense because it's enormous right like you don't have to scale outside right. of india to be, become this behemoth of a company um mm-hmm. in this region getting massive valuations is kind of restricted still to a number of sectors and you know obviously that number of sectors is growing growing very very quickly but it's still more restrictive than it would be in india uh, fintech and crypto is definitely one of, one of those sectors so you know i'll say in the same breath that there are fintech focused funds being raised in the region which are among the first sector focused funds being raised usually you raised the vc fund and it was hyper generalist but now you're looking at people with 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 specific focus um so international funds starting to look into the region are looking for these massive infrastructure plays because that just implies a much larger Tam than anything built on top of it and they're also looking mm-hmm. for massively popular things like you know mass crypto adoption as you see with rain uh, and they definitely had first mover startup and I'm you know full disclosure a user of them big fan of them really wish I invested in them I did not but uh you know some other life I
1: guess Wait. yeah win some lose some I guess yeah
0: so well i mean to be fair it never came to me so
1: yeah um, you know you yeah. know what we should do we should we should bring back john to talk about his his uh anti-portfolio again
0: oh yeah he, he passed on open c so i i feel a little better <sighs> knowing that
1: that's uh always <laughs> Sorry, always welcome back to
0: talk about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think he's still crying from the last episode <clears throat> Yeah so the internationals looking into the region are not looking for these tiny niches with no history of prior performance but rather looking for these massive opportunities that will mm-hmm. sooner or later start looking at start seeing the same MA that we're seeing for their counterparts in other regions namely fintech specifically things like a, a regional plaid um mm-hmm. or or a regional think- coinbase right
1: yeah yeah i was going to say that that i think that the number one thing that we kind of honed in on with especially with fintech and, and um, like rain, like you mentioned, it, it all goes back to those two fundamental things that we mentioned and what it took for a domestic incumbent to exist. Like, I think the, the main thing that these guys are able to do is they're able to export tech or offer tech beyond just the borders of their country. Because when you think of it, you know, in order to raise something along the lines of $110 million anywhere in the States, you need to have more active users or more retention or more signups than... Then there the populations of some Gulf countries, like take Kuwait for example. Kuwait has like four million people, maybe roughly, yep. and and to be able to grow to a company that big, whether you're a payments company or whether you're even like an exchange or anything along the lines of that, like you need to have basically an entire nation using your service.
0: Right, and you know to elaborate on that point, sometimes a nation is inaccessible because there is some very localized feature that needs to be on board. That needs to be a part of your product in order for you to actually permeate that market. A good example mm-hmm. is rain really took off because of things like Knet integrations and Meta and Saudi and uh you know BPay in or benefit in Bahrain. And mm-hmm. you know, if if that's your only card, a debit card being issued by one of the local banks, then you cannot use it on Coinbase. I know because I've tried, mm-hmm. you know, I have a number of, of bank cards, I have all my, all my bank cards issued in in this region are debit in Kuwait. They're all debit. I don't have a credit card in the region, um, and none of those cards work on Coinbase. So if I can't, I cannot buy Bitcoin or whatever on Coinbase. Um, so the region I turn the the region the reason I turn to the local offer the 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 local product is because they offer uh, the payment option that makes sense for me. Obviously, it's not worth. Coinbase's time to go fight for a for a Knet integration because they know the local regulations and set up a local entity, and know people at Citra, and know people at the local banks to help uh, facilitate this. Like it's just a pain, and it's not worth them. You know, scale. It's not worth their time uh, to get this little tiny incremental bit of scale. So, when you're regionally gatekept by things like payments, then you really stand out to an international investor. In the case of Lean. I mean plaid doesn't plaid, plaid does not natively integrate with uh local banks plaid is a u.s centric product very clearly uh so there's a lot of people out there building the plaid for whatever
1: right um, and i think that's actually yeah. that's actually like yc's main investment thesis nowadays um like all, all the exits that we've been hearing about like whether it's paystack or whether it's like even just skimming through the companies of the recent batches that they've had it's all been um stripe for africa uh yeah. shopify for india coinbase for this region like and and i think it's it's just they're just helping those they're helping those areas kind of leapfrog the void that is like the tech gap that they have and they're just going straight to these services which you yeah. know presents a lot of like technical IP and like technical progress and advancement, especially if they're working in that area. But emerging um,
0: markets are regions that are extremely difficult to expand into organically, especially if you have these like kind of on the ground gatekeeping things like payment gateways. It right. is impossible. It would be much, much easier for Coinbase to say buy out rain once they scale to the entire region and hit critical mass than it is for Coinbase to set up shop re- here and then slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then slowly build their presence as they did in the States. It's just a much, you know, it, it's a smaller proposition for them. And it makes sense given the capital that they're, that they have. So, you know, the, the legalese of setting up an entity here, that's another thing to talk about because there used to be a ton of rules that were super hostile to international investors. Um, some of those laws, unfortunately, they're still on the books in some places. Uh, Kuwait, as of today, still restricts foreign ownership to a maximum of 49%. Now for a lot of, you know, say, US or European companies looking to operate here, especially in the tech space, it may be completely untenable to hand over 51% to someone else, even though they have a behind the scenes agreement that essentially gives them total control and economic benefit. So it becomes like this nominee agreement where the nominee is completely useless, does nothing except exist on paper. Um, those also present some legal challenges because there is not much legal precedent on those things being um, you know fought so whether or not they stand in court after lengthy litigation is not something any lawyer can answer with 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 ease so it just makes more sense for people wanting to own 100% as a foreign investor in these new markets so the UAE permits 100% foreign ownership um, and there are much lower kind of bureaucratic burdens. Everything can be done online. And you understand the value of that when you're stuck running around between government buildings, uh, especially if it's in a language you don't understand, trying to figure things out. Um, Saudi Arabia has SABIC, which allows, uh, under certain conditions, I should clarify, uh, foreign entities to own 100% of their equity while operating in Saudi Arabia. Um, this has been very common for entities that are set up in the UAE with a significant ownership of non UAE or non GCC investors on their cap table who want to expand into Saudi. They would get a SABIC exception and an entity that allows them to operate there. Um, yeah, so, so these kind of ways into the, to the region, um, allowing, uh, foreign investor friendly, uh, rules to take hold and uh, with time actually stand up to scrutiny in the court system this will usher in in my opinion a a massive influx of a capital and um, um, b foreign buyers so once the target once the region becomes a target for foreign m a you will see on the very other end of that funnel a lot more money start making their way start making its way into the coffers of newer startups knowing that, uh outright MA by a foreign buyer will be allowed as an exit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean think to 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 touch on your point specifically about what it takes to even spin up the business in that region. I mean, I'm I'm sure you have a lot of um instances from experience of like how you needed to run around for months on end to just be able to get me. something. <laughs> Three months. And that's
0: wow. and that's after it was it was uh you know significantly significantly um uh, you know, after it was significantly watered down compared to what it was, say ten years ago. Ten years ago, it was it was just murder. It was terrible. It's as bad like as it is in Germany it. now.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because because I mean, I I hear that, and then I think you know, I'm I'm remembering because like January 29th, uh, this this past Saturday was actually Abstract's two year anniversary, and like remembering what the incorporation process looked like then. It was a stripe atlas. It took us. Less than an hour to fill out the application, and then Stripe took care of everything else. And within two weeks, we had, we were fully set up as a business. Um, and I think Dubai and like the UAE and Saudi Arabia are slowly adopting systems like that to make it very very quick. Um, and it's just the that's just one thing that that you know starting a company is always hard. Uh, the process of spinning it up legally should be something simple as it is here in the states. But the fact that you have to go yep. through so much so much BS, and you need to have such a massive connection to just be able to spin something up is is I think what
0: you know. But is but there is there is you know there is a flip side of that argument. The reason it is so easy to launder money in the U.S. right is mm-hmm. is because there's it's it's a very low barrier of entry to anyone to set anything up and get a bank account and do whatever they want. So in the U.S. you just need a pulse uh, in order to set up an LLC. You don't even need identification. Um, right. And that LLC can go open a bank account anywhere, and people tend to do whatever they want. And by the time they've been discovered, the money is already way clear of the accounts, anyways. So the reason you know that um, KYC AML issues in the US are, you know, very—it's very commonplace to see uh, wrongdoing in the financial system there. Is because mm-hmm. you just compare the ratio of the amount of money spent trying to enforce KYC AML provisions and the amount of money seized, and understand that this is nowhere near the amount necessary to stop illegal activity. So if they spend yeah. two hundred billion on KYC AML and they, they they you know they seize twenty billion, the capital efficiency is is very poor in terms of uh, uh, seizing illegal assets. So in other yeah. countries in other countries KYC AML can be quite extensive um mm-hmm. and yeah they sure they still have the issues as well but it's it's nowhere near as it is uh, nowhere near as bad as it is in say like you know North Dakota and i can do a whole show about like ways have got ways people have gotten away with financial malfeasance um a lot yeah. of listeners don't know this but i've actually turned people into the us federal government for financial misconduct and i've testified in front of a grand jury um wow. And I've actually, you know, this, and I've, I've yeah. actually seen the way people uh, internally will try to hide, you know, misbehavior. Let's call it. Right. And it blows my mind how easy yeah. it is because yeah. nobody checks your ID anyway at any point during the process to do anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think there's there, there's a very interesting parallel that got spun up in this because you know we, we talked to. You know, as as a as a founder, especially in a stagnant industry trying to build a SaaS, um you you talk to a lot of people who like to tear your business apart. And that's like normal. That's just part of being any other founder. And like the, the interesting tangent that I found was um they kind the, the way you spoke about how easy it is to spin up LLCs in the US and what consequences there are that come out of it um, is very similar to um whether you want to raise or lower the barrier of entry into your product to make sure that the network or community built on there is high quality or low quality. So the the interesting part that I kind of noticed was like, you know, one of the approaches that we had a really long time ago was you can't make an account until you sign up and um until you sign up through the sales team you need to you need a token, you need an account set up um and everything like that and um we got some, you know, it got to the point where everyone in the community we we can email and we can talk to directly and we knew personally um, but one of the things like in order to achieve growth or in order to achieve um, some sort of pmf or scale um, rather than go for such a limited barrier of entry make it easy such that anyone can sign up onto the product but then the worries that get onto the worries that come with that are uh, the quality of your network is gonna tank. And I think that's that's the issue. Like you, you have the best case scenario, which is basically like a Bloomberg terminal where everyone needs to sign up and everyone can make an account, but you know that the network on there is all like financial experts and people who are pretty well known in that industry. Um and, and I'd like to see that as like, you know, Kuwait and like Quaid, Saudi Arabia, and like that, that the the Gulf region MENA, generally speaking. Um, is very much in like the high touch part of of the of the world, where it's like, in order to set something up, you have to go through so much bullshit because it's kind of like a weed out course of of a, of a process in order to You're have a business. About setting spun up, up a bank account or setting or setting up a business, a business, just generally speaking.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's it's changed drastically. So in Kuwait, for example, it's become a lot easier compared to 10 years ago, but there is still quite a bit of work done today. A lot of manual labor just to open up a business and it's a bit of a headache, Hmm. Um, Bahrain has always been. And I want to circle back on that one, Bahrain has actually been very business friendly for a long time, long before anyone else had that reputation in the Middle East, only because it was a banking center since like the seventies and eighties. The UAE, I think is leading the pack in terms of ease of setup. Um, and the thing about the UAE is kind of like the states where you have different states with different rules. It's sort of the same thing within the UAE, because I don't think there is such a thing as a UAE corporation. You're either a, a Dubai company or a Abu Dhabi company or a Al Khaimah company or whatever. So yeah. um, Dubai and RAK, Al Khaimah free zones have become exceedingly popular in recent years, especially for SPVs, but setting up really any any legal structure, any fund structure, I would recommend anyone looking to do any business here just to go directly to ADGM, Abu Dhabi Global Markets, uh, mm-hmm. only because it's if you're familiar with, say, a Western method or the way you do it in London, for example, if you want to set up a, a PLC or a company there, um, the, the, the ease with which you would do such a thing is best mirrored in Abu Dhabi. And the good thing is uh, if you have majority GCC ownership, then doing business with the rest of the Gulf just also becomes much easier. Uh, and obviously they set you up the bank account and blah, blah, all that stuff. Um, Saudi, uh, especially if you were a Saudi citizen or GC citizen, again, they were in the same bucket as Kuwait 10 years ago, or it's much, much more difficult to set up an, an entity. Um, but it's, it's become just infinitely easier now, and you can do most of it online. Uh, and of course, if you're, if you're not a GCC citizen and you're trying to go through SABIC. and um, I don't know if anybody I know still works there, but Sabic has made that that process infinitely easier. Just so, so much easier. You cannot begin begin to tell you how much easier it is now than it was just you know ten years ago. So Sabic uh, Sabic is actually facilitating a lot of business um, coming in from abroad. Uh, I actually have zero insight on what it's like to 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 sets anything up in Oman or Qatar um so actually i should i should probably do some reading on that but yeah like i said most of the business you're going to be doing in the region is going to be uh uae saudi at least for vcs um and then egypt is fairly popular egypt the paperwork can be a bit of a hassle but a lot of well, the deals that I have done in Egypt were never really investments in Egyptian companies. There were investments in a, a BVI, a British Virgin Islands company, and that one owned an Egyptian company outright. And the reason for this is because nothing would ever change in terms of the paperwork at the Egyptian level, all the new capital and the capital cap table changes and all that would happen in the BVI where, you know, it, it's kind of a hassle, but, but infinitely easier than having to do that in Egypt. Um, so yeah, there, there are ways around the difficult things. But some things where you just have to do, um, I would always recommend uh, looking at Abu Dhabi in this region. But I said I wanted to to go back to Bahrain for a second. So Bahrain has been a trendsetter in terms of financial regulation in this region for a long time. So I mean, our dad used to work between Kuwait and Bahrain back when he was doing commercial banking, investment banking. Uh, He literally Mm -hmm. would be on a flight. He'd be there four days a week and here three days a week or something. But uh, mm-hmm. so he, he traveled between Kuwait and Manaba a lot back then, and Bahrain was the regional banking hub mainly because, well, not mainly, but considerably a considerable reason is uh, City had set up shop there, so Citibank, um, and it was one of their first major expansions um, into a, a emerging market. Uh, and there were also obviously like regional behemoths that came out of Bahrain, like you know InvestCorp and all the work they ended up doing internationally in the states. That was sort of a homegrown effort. And keep in mind, you know, Rain, who we were just talking about, their first licensing came from Bahrain. So Bahrain kind of opened the doors to crypto exchange licensing before really anyone else, even before the UAE. Um, And now that people are setting up shop, at least for Web3 in Dubai, they're beginning to look at Bahrain as step two in terms of getting their licensing. And Binance actually very recently did that as well. So, you know, Binance has been granted um, uh, their status by the UAE regulators. And soon after that, they went and got the same in Bahrain. Uh, so yeah, Bahrain is definitely on the forefront of financial regulation. And as these kind of you know Chinese walls come down a little more between the Gulf states, um, I, I am still hoping and waiting for a day in which having a a legal entity set up in any one of the Gulf states is pretty much good to go in any other Gulf state without having to. Uh, uh, set up a subsidiary in the same sense that setting up a delaware llc lets you do business anywhere in, in the states um, i'm still hoping for that and when that happens if that were to happen my money would be on adgm basically becoming the trendsetter
1: yeah i think i think that was a point that i was gonna i was gonna touch on but i think you know we're, we're talking about all these different parts of the middle east being hubs of their own and like um embracing different Sectors are riding different waves in order to like welcome them into the Gulf region. But one thing that i I've, I've been very confused about is why this there's no why no one's basically capitalized on this golden opportunity for the entire GCC to basically go okay once you're in or once you're set up in one country you're set up everywhere or like once you have a license in one country you can operate because everywhere. that
0: that would require an act of government of all the GCC countries. So again, you know the the GCC. Um, Think of of it as the universal commercial code in the US. There is Mm -hmm. a a certain set of rules that are agreed upon by all states, but at the end of the day, it's not truly universal because other states can add their own amendments and tweaks to it that make it irrelevant in the other state. So it's not truly universal, right? If I have a universal version and you have a universal version, it's not universal. So the GCC Mm -hmm. has never really opened up the borders in terms of allowing entities registered in one state to, to freely operate in another. So I cannot be operating in Saudi on a Kuwaiti company. I would have to set up a company in Saudi if I'm going to hire people there and pay them and so on and so forth, which is not the case with the US LLC. Yeah. I imagine that at some point, such an agreement would exist in this region, even if it's not all GCC countries acting in unison. What could happen is, right. is that UAE and Saudi decide that you know it's important to both of their economies to have... You know, capital and labor freely operating, uh, sorry, freely moving between one state and the next and doing so without much complications in terms of the entities. Mm-hmm. But as of today, that does not exist. So if if you set up in Dubai and you want to set up in Saudi, you then have to set up a Saudi company and the Dubai company owns it. And then you would do the same for any other market you're in.
1: Yeah, which I think is like, because I mean, the, the from from a founder's perspective, like spinning up businesses and being able to operate in these different states that's okay maybe that's one obstacle that we can get to further down the road once other things have basically cleared up in the gcc but you know the the one thing that i'm kind of happy about is like say for example uh if i wanted to work and then this is something that we briefly spoke about earlier in the week but yep. um if if i wanted to work as as a as a QADI in dubai all i need to do is say that i'm a member of the gcc within Maybe same day or two to three days. I have my um, like Emirates equivalent of a civil ID, I guess, and then yeah, I'm yeah. Good to basically,
0: work there. if if you're the member, if you have a if you have an ID as a citizen of a GCC country, an ID issued by your home state, you can go to any one of the other ones and basically go to their you know the civil ID offices and get one issued by yeah. that state, and that's all you would really need to work because you would need that idea that ID in order to go set up a local bank account to, for you to get paid. Yeah,
1: like one one guest that I'd really really love to have that I think might have a lot to say about this topic is um, uh, Ahmed Marfi, um, CEO and founder of Coded. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so Ahmed, I don't know if you listened to this at all, but if you are, love to have you on here and talk to talk to you about that because I think I think the 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 biggest thing is like, okay, so we know that the UAE is growing in terms of becoming a Web three hub. Uh, Saudi Arabia and like I think Riyadh specifically is growing and kind of be- being a hub of its own. Um we just talked a lot about Bahrain specifically and how you know say maybe sometime down the road it's going to be the 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 hub of um Web3 back web three banking Dexes or like anything along the lines of that um and I think you know in order to have the in order to have the 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 manpower supporting that or the 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 Developers who are going to be building all that set up in a way such that these Gulf states become tech exporting countries, um, you need developers, and the you know I, I haven't really heard of many coding boot camps or institutions outside of normal university and CS degrees that that offer this type of education, uh, with the one exception of course being coded. Um, I know I know coded's in like different parts of the GCC and they, they they're in Kuwait and I think they're opening up in Saudi Arabia and some somewhere in Dubai if I understand correctly. but I'd be very curious to see if that's something in their roadmap being basically the meta business that's the supplier of developers for all these new startups that are popping up.
0: I mean they've um, definitely been working on that and with the one million coders initiative that was set up in Dubai a few years ago right um, But you know what I should I should try to drag him on this. Right, I mean, I, I would know, love
1: I'm, for that to happen.
0: I'm, I'm totally gonna drag them on and see what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah, down. But um, I think, I think the one thing behind that is like, the, the one mistake, or not mistake, but the, the one hole that I really, really wish the GCC states don't fall into, um, is, is basically prioritizing the business over the engineering. And, and of course, you know, as, as someone who's working in engineering, I'm gonna be very biased when I say this, but, um you know the 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 business kind of dies whatever wherever you're at the minute you export the tech to somewhere else um you know you can offer tech services like you can offer something that requires a ton of engineering but the minute you go okay we don't care about that we just want it to be built um then in my eyes the company kind of dies uh and and
0: well the story of where engineering is coming from is also something to pay attention to so Um, The number of of GCC individuals becoming engineers is slowly, but steadily increasing. But in the Mm -hmm. UAE, they come from just everywhere all around the world. Uh, Saudi has a lot of domestic engineers because they've really focused on that that aspect of the education recently. And there's a lot who come in from North Africa, specifically Egypt. Egypt has a ton Mm -hmm. of homegrown engineers. And for years, they've been getting poached by Europe, and now a lot of them are staying home. Uh, Turkey has a lot of homegrown engineers. Pakistan has a lot of homegrown engineers. And of course they kind of bounce between each of those markets quite a bit. So yeah. it's, it's picking right. up, but I would love to see more of the bootcamp, bootcamp crew, especially from the GCC individuals themselves from, from our own communities actually joining as engineers.
1: Exactly. Cause I, I, would love to have the idea of like, and I know this is happening, but on, on, on rather smaller scales, but like, um, hackathons, hack weeks, networking events around software engineering and startups, tech. Um, just happening all across Kuwait and all across yeah. Saudi Arabia, Dubai. Yeah.
0: Should Yo, be should guess be- what hackathon I'm going to? Which one? Avalanche Summit in Barcelona.
1: Oh wow, when's that happening?
0: Uh in March. I think mid late March, late last week of March or something. Yeah, definitely, definitely going to go to that one. Unfortunately, I missed the Solana one in Portugal that I really wanted mm. to go to. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to make up for it doubly.
1: True, true. I mean, that that's a big event. Like, that's that's that'll make up for multiple events if, if yeah. you were to miss more of that.
0: Well, yeah. the thing is, I want to see what 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 really is going to tell me whether or not this is a success. I mean, both the chain and I mean, the chain is a success, but I mean, just the, the developer community that's gonna that's gonna be there. So, for those who don't know, Avalanche is an EVM chain. Um, so that's Ethereum Virtual Machine. So, that means a lot of things, but basically, it also means that you can use the same um, development language that you use to build DApps on Ethereum uh, to do the same on on Avalanche. So that's uh, solidity. Meaning if you mm-hmm. are a uh, a seasoned Ethereum developer, you can then very quickly turn around and become an Avalanche developer because you're using substantially the same tech stack and language and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. And you can actually turn around and basically take your Ethereum dApp and then just deploy it on Avalanche with very few changes. That is not the case mm-hmm. with, say, Algorand. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the founders of that chain knew what they were doing when they decided to make an EVM chain. Mm-hmm. And w- when they did that, it just made it a lot easier for somebody who, again, was seasoned in Ethereum to very quickly jump to Avalanche. And I actually, I've been keeping track of the number of like, you know, Git, com- Git commits um, there are in the Avalanche community and the number of uh, uh, new developers. And that's been steadily increasing. But whether that okay. translates into a hardcore dev community that's willing to fly out and go to a, a DevCon happening in Europe. I mean, we will see, but they have a lot of—I think about five days of events planned, and uh, you best bet I'm going to be going around looking for my next investment. So I can't—I can't wait to see what happens there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Web three is, especially these these summits or where these networks and bridges are going to be built. So, you know, as 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 the world sort of comes back from COVID, I definitely think, you know, even even here in in LA and like the California area or even US. Those are definitely things that I'm trying to go to more and more. Even if it's not my, you know, it's not my industry. I mean, GovTech is still very, very much behind uh, the whole Web3 movement, or if anything, some people will say against the whole Web3 movement. But you um, your, your yeah, web is getting... 0.75. Honestly, some of the websites we've been looking at, it does feel like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah.
0: No, you're not Web3. Why be Web3 when you can be Web three quarters?
1: True, true. <laughs> three quarters. <laughs> All right. But, um, but yeah, looking forward to you that. You should,
0: sure. uh, you should, you should start creating like, you know, DAOs that organize to amend legislation. And if you want to have more of a say, you buy more token.
1: I heard about, I don't know if this is related at all, but like my timeline was at one point a couple of weeks ago, flooded with the constitution DAO. I've no idea what that is. Oh yeah. You don't know what yeah. it is, dude. Look it up. No. Cause constitution. You, you,
0: you, yeah, you, you have to look it up. Anyhow, I gotta right. I gotta wrap this shit up because I gotta um, sleep. <laughs> I, well, I have stuff to do before then. But yeah,
1: true. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I. Again, we are recording this midweek, so I I'm I'm just worried of switching my desktop going from Zoom to Slack and seeing all the fires that have popped up. So enjoy. Such as life. Such as life. Life is potato. <laughs> true true very much like all right peace all righty